I'm excited to be preaching to you this morning from the book of Isaiah. I invite you to turn there with me in your copy of God's Word, the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. I'm going to take a brief break from our sermon series in the book of Mark. We have a Christmas series that we're calling Long Expected One. We're going to be having a ser- sermon series in the book of Isaiah. But don't worry, we're not going to go through the entire book of Isaiah. We're going to be looking at some of the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. And so, if you're a Kids Bridge kid, uh, fourth and fifth graders, you can be dismissed at this time to head to the back. I invite you to stand in reverence at this time and hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, of the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, and sh- with you, Sheer Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass." For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, as we turn to this moment, this moment in our week when we gather together with your church to hear your word, we pray that you would help us by your spirit to hear the word that you have for us this morning. God, I pray for every man, woman, and child in this room that you would give them a special blessing from your word today. We pray for the lost among us that they would hear the gospel and be saved. And we pray for your church that we would be sanctified and edified by your word. 
It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. But if you go there, you'll be eaten by cannibals. That's what one old Scottish man said to try and convince John G. Payton to stay in Scotland and to not leave to go to the New Hebrides as a missionary. Now, it was true that at that time in the middle of the 19th century that the islands of the New Hebrides were full of cannibals. In fact, the first two missionaries to land on one of the islands were immediately clubbed to death and eaten. And so when this old man tried to scare John G. Payton away from the mission field, here's what he said. He said, sir, you are advanced in age, and it won't be long until your body is buried in the ground and eaten by worms. And as long as I can live and die serving Jesus, it won't make any difference to me after I'm dead whether my body is eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. After he made it to the New Hebrides, that old man's words almost came true. On multiple occasions, Peyton was almost killed and eaten by cannibals. In fact, after he had been preaching the gospel on one of the islands, the local tribe had had enough of him telling them to abandon their idols and trust in Jesus. And so he had to flee to try to escape the island in the middle of the night. And as he was running for his life in the darkness, he, he realized, he saw the torches and realized that he was surrounded at one point. So he climbed up into a tree to hide from the cannibals. Listen to what he said about that experience in his autobiography. I climbed into the tree and was left alone there in the bush. The hours I spent there live all before me as if it were but of yesterday. I heard the frequent discharge of muskets and the yells of the savages. Yet I sat there among the branches as safe as in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly to my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus. Alone, yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence to enjoy his consoling fellowship. Now, most of us will probably never experience a life or death situation like Peyton did on that night. But as long as we are alive in this sinful fallen world, we will experience trials and tragedies of varying degrees. And so whether we're running for our lives or whether we're just ready to run from life's problems, the question that this text demands that we answer is, who will you trust in? That's the question that's facing King Ahaz in our text. Here in Isaiah chapter 7, King Ahaz is facing a major crisis. And it's not just his life in danger, it's the, the entire nation of Judah that is in danger. Look with me beginning in verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. The days of Ahaz were dark days for the southern kingdom of Judah. In those days, the Assyrians had the most powerful army the world had ever seen, and they were on the verge of conquering all the surrounding nations, including Judah. And so, due to the threat from the Assyrians, the northern kingdom allied itself, the northern kingdom of Israel allied itself 
with Syria. Not a Syria, but Syria. They teamed up together to try to stand a chance against Assyria. And so they wanted to force Judah to join their alliance, but King Ahaz didn't want to have it. And so they declared war. Syria and Israel declared war against Judah. They invaded Judah, and it was a devastating invasion. More than 300,000 Judeans were either killed or captured. Look how the people respond in verse 2. When the house of David was told... Now, the, the house of David, that goes beyond King Ahaz. That's a reference to the entire royal family. It's a big, bold reminder that even though King Ahaz was a bad king, he is still a descendant of David and therefore is heir to the promises that God made to David to give him an eternal throne. When the house of David was told, Behold, Syria is in league with Ephraim. Ephraim is just another name for Israel. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. When King Ahaz and all the royal family and all the people found out about the alliance and about the invasion that was coming, their hearts looked like a palm tree in a Category 5 hurricane. They were fearful. They had no faith in God. They were shaken to the core of their being. That's what fear and anxiety feels like, doesn't it? We know what that's like. I don't know if it's just me, but for all this talk about how it's the most wonderful time of the year, it also sometimes feels like the most stressful time of the year. <laughs> and when we're at church or at family gatherings or we're posting on social media, what do we do? We act like we've got it all together. We, we give the appearance on the outside of stability, but the reality is on the inside, our hearts can look like a palm tree in Hurricane Katrina. It's not a question of if the, the stressful storms of life can shake us. The question is, when the storms come, who will you trust in? King Ahaz and his people were clearly not trusting in God. They were not full of faith. They were full of fear. So God sends the prophet Isaiah to deliver a message to the king. We see that in verse 3. Look with me there. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Sheer Jashub, your son. Now, what's going on here is more than just bring your child to work day. Okay? In the Bible, names are extremely important. And that's especially true in this section in Isaiah. Sheer Jashub's name means a remnant shall return. God wanted Isaiah to bring his son along with him so that Ahaz would see this son and hear this message and respond with faith. To trust God that even though judgment was coming and that only a remnant would be left, that there was still hope. Salvation was coming too because they would one day return from exile. God sent Isaiah and his son to meet King Ahaz at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Now, it was a common tactic in these days to try to force a city to surrender by cutting off their water supply. So King Ahaz here is probably expect, inspecting the water reservoir of the city to try to find out if they're attacked, how long can they make it? He's preparing for the worst. And that's when God sends Isaiah and his son to speak this message, beginning in verse 4. 
and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. With these four commands, God is telling Ahaz to calm down. But notice, God's not just saying keep calm and carry on. God's not comforting King Ahaz here so much as he is warning him. God's commanding King Ahaz to be very careful about how he responds in the midst of this crisis. God knows Ahaz's heart, and he knows what Ahaz is thinking about doing. So God warns him, don't make a major crisis worse by making a major mistake. God says, calm down. Don't be afraid of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up to Jerusalem or to Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Now, the kings of, uh, of Syria and Israel were succeeding in their goal to terrify Judah, but that wasn't their ultimate goal. Their aim even goes beyond setting up a puppet king who will submit to them. They aren't merely plotting to do away with King Ahaz. Notice in the text, the man they plan to put in power is the son of Tabil, not another son of Jotham like Ahaz. That means they're plotting to do away with the entire royal line of David. But God's not going to have it. Look what he declares, beginning in verse 7. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. In other words, it ain't happening. For the head of Samaria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. Head here refers to leader. So the head or the lead city of the nation of Syria is Damascus, and the leader in the lead city in Syria is King Rezin. Likewise, the lead city in Israel is Samaria, and the leader in the lead city of Israel is King Pekah. God promises Ahaz that within 65 years, he will crush the heads of his enemies, so much so that they will be shattered from being a people. They will be broken into pieces. They will cease to exist. In contrast to their enemies who will be shattered, God's people are to be firm. In the final line of this first message, God switches from addressing Ahaz directly to addressing all the people. We would translate it, if y'all are not firm in faith, y'all will not be firm at all. If they are firm in their faith in God, then their future is secure. Faith in God equals stability. Unbelief equals instability. They can be firm in their faith because God is the firm foundation upon which their faith rests. He is the solid rock upon which they can stand. Because God's not scared of their enemies. <laughs> Did you notice what he called the kings of Israel and Syria in verse 4? God calls them these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. These two kings and their armies that have terrified King Ahaz and his people that seem like a raging wildfire consuming everything in their path. To God, 
They're nothing more than just two little embers left after the campfires all burned out. That's all they are. They're, they're spent. They're done. And God is going to pour the bucket on them and extinguish them once and for all. God's not scared of their problems. And he's not scared of your problems either. I know you don't want to, but think about it right now. What is the biggest problem that you are facing at work or at home or at school? What's stressing you out more than anything? What's causing you to lose sleep at night? Is it wondering how you're ever going to afford to put enough presents under the tree this year? Are you stressing out about spending time with your extended family or with your in-laws, those people you don't really want to spend a lot of time with, but you have to spend time with because it's the holidays? Is it a virus? Is it inflation? Is it the check engine light? Is it a big final exam this week? Is it lab test results? Is it a child's future? What is it? What is stressing you out more than anything? That problem that makes your heart tremble, that seems like an unquenchable raging fire to God looks like nothing more than a smoking candle wick. God's not scared of your problems. God's not intimidated by the things that stress you out. God's not worried about them at all. And it's not because he doesn't care. It's because he's God and he is in control. So don't just try to keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and come to him. Listen to me. When are you going to wake up and face the reality that your problems are too big for you to handle? You can't do it on your own. You're not strong enough to handle all that anxiety and all that stress. You're not smart enough to know what's best to do in each and every situation. Stop trusting in yourself. Self-sufficiency leads to self-destruction. You can't make it on your own, and you weren't made to. God allows trials into our lives so that we will draw closer to him. And the primary way that we do this is through prayer. That's what one of the Protestant reformers said hundreds of years ago. He said that for Christians, quote, the occasion that best stimulates them to call upon God is when distressed by their own need, they are troubled by the greatest unrest and are almost driven out of their senses until faith opportunely comes to their relief. What if we didn't wait until we were almost driven out of our senses? What if we didn't wait until we were up a creek without a paddle or up a tree hiding from cannibals? What if right now, what if this morning, we turned from trusting in ourselves to trusting in God by faith? When we can't stand under the weight of our problems, we can kneel. Bring your fears by faith to God in prayer. The most practical way you can turn from trusting yourself is by prayer. And you don't have to wait until the middle of the night when bloodthirsty cannibals are hunting you down. You can start your day. You can end your day. Throughout your day, bring your burdens to God in prayer. Keep calm and come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
You will find stability in the face of the storms of life only in the arms of Jesus. Our faith overcomes our fears when we are firm in our faith in God. And that's what King Ahaz had to learn the hard way. Look with me beginning in verse 10. God sends Isaiah another message for Ahaz. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. God allows King Ahaz to ask for a sign to give him assurance of God's word, of God's promise. And no sign is out of bounds. God will literally move heaven and earth to prove that he is trustworthy. Verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, at first glance here, Ahaz appears humble because in Deuteronomy 6, 16, it says in God's law, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Isn't Ahaz just being obedient here? Not quite. Look at how God responds in verse 13. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Isaiah flat out rebukes Ahaz and the whole nation. God is sick and tired of their unbelief. Ahaz's response is not a demonstration of his faith in God. It's just the opposite. He's pretending to be holy, but really he's a hypocrite. Because here's the bottom line. Ahaz doesn't want a sign. Because Ahaz doesn't want to believe. By this point, King Ahaz has already made up his mind. Instead of trusting in God to deliver him and his nation from their enemies, he has decided to trust in Assyria. We can read about it in 2 Kings 16. Ahaz sent messengers to the king of Assyria and said, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. As the king of Judah, Ahaz was supposed to be the servant of God, of Yahweh. He, but instead, he abandoned the God of his fathers and made himself the servant and the son of the king of Assyria. He has turned from trusting in God to trusting in a man. He has committed the sin of idolatry. And that's the same thing that you and I do every time that we turn from trusting in God to trusting in someone or something else. Who or what are the Assyrias in your life that you are turning to for relief, for deliverance when times are hard? or when you are struggling. Some singles look to a spouse to deliver them from a sad life in the same way that some married couples look to divorce to save them from a bad marriage. What is it for you? A lot of people spent a lot of money this past weekend (laughs) and only to buy things that are going to make their lives more stressful. And then there were other people who didn't spend any money this past weekend because they're trusting in their savings account to make their life less stressful. What are those things that you are turning to, that you are trusting in? For some people, it's substances. It could be just a few more pieces of pumpkin pie, or it could be a few more prescription pills. Pay attention to what you turn to when you're stressed or depressed. For some people, it's pouring themselves into work or exercise. For other people, it's naps and Netflix. 
There are a lot of depressed and lonely people who get alone with a screen or alone with someone who's not their spouse. Not even so much looking for sexual gratification as much as they just want to feel something, anything, because they're so depressed. There are all sorts of idols we turn to to deliver us from our problems instead of God. But if we do not destroy them, they will destroy us. And that's exactly what ends up happening to King Ahaz. King Ahaz abandons God to trust in Assyria. He refuses God's offer of a sign. But you know what God does? He gives Ahaz a sign anyway. And right here is the context of one of our favorite Christmas Bible verses. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Far from being just merely a sweet, sentimental Christmas verse, this promise is, yes, it is a sign of hope, of salvation, but it's also a sign of judgment. Ahaz is trying to run from God to Assyria for help, but God's not going to have it. God's not going anywhere. He will be with them. He will keep his promise of deliverance that he made in the previous verses, but he will also bring judgment upon King Ahaz and Judah for their faithlessness. And as a partial precursor, fulfillment of this prophecy, in Ahaz's own day, a virgin would marry and conceive a child the natural way with her husband, and they would name him Emmanuel. Verse 15, he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. This child will be raised in the immediate aftermath of the recent invasion, so he will eat the food of the poor. Verse 16, for before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. By the time little Emmanuel is old enough to really know the difference between right and wrong, to make moral choices, God will have kept his promise, and Syria and Israel will be deserted. They'll be abandoned. And God kept his promise. It came to pass, just as he said. Within three years, Syria had been conquered by the Assyrians, and ten years after that, Israel was conquered. For now, Judah would be spared. God was with his people in salvation, but judgment was coming. Verse 17. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Up until that point, the worst day in their history was when the ten northern tribes seceded, when the kingdom was torn in two. But God promises that the judgment he's bringing will be worse than that day. In an ironic reversal of their uh, trust, their deliverer will turn into their destroyer. The Assyrian king that they trusted in for salvation will be the source of their destruction. And that's the way it always is with idols. They promise salvation, but they never deliver. They only destroy. The pills you turn to for a little relief end up becoming an addiction that lands you in the back of a cop car or in the back of a hearse. The porn that you turn to because you're just bored and lonely 
grows and consumes you and spirals downward until your face is on the front page of the Richmond Register busted for child porn. The job that you took and get some sense of satisfaction and accomplishment from. Over time, it turns into a career that consumes more and more of your life and your energy and your time to the neglect of your family. It's always the same with idols. They never deliver. They only destroy. For a terrifying thought experiment, just spend some time thinking about what would happen if you just fully gave yourself over to that thing or that person you're trusting in. That if you just, no limits, no restraints, if you just gave yourself totally into that idol for the next five years, would you even be alive? In the face of the storms of life, God must be the solid rock upon which we stand. All idols are, are sinking sand that will swallow us up. And that's exactly what happened to King Ahaz. Because he abandoned God and turned to Assyria, King Ahaz was about to be swallowed up by his idol. King Ahaz thought that he could choose his enemies and his allies. He thought that he chose Assyria to be his ally and Syria and Israel to be his enemies. But in reality, when he chose Assyria to be his ally, he chose God to be his enemy. And the rest of the verses in this chapter and on into chapter 8 describe the disaster that is coming when God sends his judgment upon Judah and upon King Ahaz through the form of Assyria. God gave King Ahaz every opportunity to believe. By giving him the sign of Emmanuel, God wasn't merely inviting Ahaz to trust in a Jewish baby instead of the mighty Assyrian army. Because we know that this prophecy was not just about any ordinary baby. As Matthew tells us in the opening chapter of his gospel, this prophecy was fully and finally fulfilled when the Virgin Mary conceived supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit and gave birth to a son who they named Jesus, but who we call Emmanuel because he is God with us. When he was born, he was the fullness of God and helpless babe. God took on human flesh and dwelt among us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And his birth is a sign of both judgment and salvation. Because the birth of Emmanuel is not good news for idolaters like you and me who have abandoned God. Some people think that, that hell is the absence of God. But in reality, hell is the absence of God's mercy and the presence of God's wrath. Those who abandon God to trust in idols will experience the abandonment of God's loving kindness forever. But the birth of Emmanuel is good news for idolaters who will turn and abandon their idols to trust in God alone for salvation. Because unlike King Ahaz, King Jesus always trusted in God. Ahaz was the king who abandoned God to save himself. But Jesus was the king who was abandoned by God to save you and me. 
By his lack of faith, Ahaz wearied God and men. But Jesus welcomes all who are weary to come to him by faith and find eternal rest. When faced with the greatest crisis of his life, King Ahaz trusted in Assyria. But when faced with the greatest of his, crisis of his life, King Jesus trusted in God alone. King Jesus did not turn to anyone or anything else to save him other than God. When the weight of it all was too much for him, he knelt in the garden of Gethsemane in prayer. When soldiers came to hunt him down in the middle of night with swords and torches, he told Peter to put away his sword. He didn't summon the legions of angels that he could have to come down and save him. He didn't, he didn't come down from the cross and save himself. Why? Because he was firm in his faith in God to deliver him. But God didn't deliver him from the cross. On the cross, Jesus experienced the abandonment for your sin that you deserve to experience forever. But even though Jesus was abandoned temporarily on the cross, he still kept the faith. His last words were not, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His last words were, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He kept the faith and God delivered him. Not from the cross because he had to pay the penalty for your sin. God did not deliver Jesus from the cross. God delivered Jesus from the grave. And three days later, he was alive. Now, when we repent, when we turn from trusting in idols and, and trust in Emmanuel, his spirit comes and is with us. It is through the Holy Spirit that we are able to pray and to experience the presence of God in our lives. And because God is with us, we can trust him to ultimately deliver us from whatever trial or tragedy we face, even if we have to experience suffering. Because we know that even the Son of God experienced suffering for our salvation, and yet God ultimately delivered him. We know that we, God will allow us to suffer too, us to experience that suffering for our sanctification, to make us more like his Son but that no matter what we go through, God will ultimately deliver us. So we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to try to do it on our own. Our faith overcomes our fear when we abandon our idols and trust in Emmanuel. It's the gospel that gives us the hope we need to abandon them and trust in him no matter what comes our way. When he was being hunted down by cannibals, in the middle of the night, and hiding by himself up in a tree. Do you remember what John Payton said? He said he was alone, yet not alone. His faith overcame his fear because he trusted in Emmanuel. Who will you trust in? If we will turn from our idols and trust in Emmanuel, then no matter what we go through, be it a trifle or a tragedy, we will be able to say the same, alone, yet not alone. Because Emmanuel suffered the absence of God temporarily, we will be able to experience the presence of God eternally. 
By faith in Jesus, God is with us today, tomorrow, and forever.